Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, brighten our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Jason. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I'm good. How you doing, man? <laughs> doing well. <laughs> Aren't you excited to be here? What's wrong? I'm still trying different intros. I'm trying to find a good one for the two of us when there's not three people here. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm good. We can, we can switch that up. We'll think of something. We'll keep workshopping it. It's yeah. Um, <laughs> we fear change. Today, we are wrapping up our little freestyle block we've done to start the year with another listener episode going to a classic here, Cannibal Holocaust from 1980, directed by Ruggiero Diodato, who passed away recently, which is very sad. Yep. R.I.P. Diodato. I'm sure we'll talk it a little was in bit. December, December 29th, he yeah, passed away. Not too far back. I'm sure we'll talk about some of our favorites of his. And who was the lovely person that brought this film to us? It was Elena, who delivered to us The Girl Next Door last year. I think most of her picks she dropped on us were extreme horror. Nice. So thank you, Elena. We are happy to cover this one too. As we said last time, this is punching a bit more mainstream than we usually go, but. Well, mainstream in quotation marks. Yeah. I mean, you know. Um, and also, this is probably a good point to go ahead and throw a disclaimer out there that the yeah. movie we're going to talk about yeah. today is graphic and disturbing, and there's real life, you know, animal killings, which is abhorrent. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that. But if this is not your kind of movie, just tune out and come back next time. I promise you, next time will be something <laughs> much less heavy. Um, as I always say, every time we do one of these, know your limits, mm-hmm. know what you're into, know what you can handle. If you don't want to listen to us even talk about it, we understand. That's fine. That's cool. If you want to listen to us ramble about it, but you don't want to watch the movie yourself, that's totally cool, too. Mm-hmm. There is now, like, the new Blu-ray version of this that exists. Uh, they have a cut where they remove all the animal cruelty. I will say it's still a heavy film. Oh, sure. Without that. Yeah. It's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, you've been warned. We're going to talk about what we've been watching, and I don't really have a shout-out, but I just wanted to mention something. Been checking on the back end of things. Our numbers are up across Whoa. the board. Lots of new listeners, which is super cool. Uh, we're glad you're out there. Is it because Michael left? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I think really it's the momentum maybe we built at the end of the year. So yeah, we, so once it, they realize he's once gone, they realize he's go gone. Back yeah. down. We're going to tank. Um, so hi, all you new people. Thank you uh, for checking us out. Thank I hope you, you thank stick you, thank around. You. Welcome. Um, don't be shy to reach out to us. Say hey. We'll talk to you about anything, man. Yeah. Give us a movie. We need more listener suggestions. Uh-huh. And I don't say it too often, so I thought I'd get it in early this year. Um, if you are listening in and you're digging the show and having fun with it, I know it's a hassle. I know it's a pain. That's why I don't bring it up every episode. But if you could take a few minutes to hop onto your platform of choice and leave us a review or a rating or whatever. I know Spotify is only ratings. iTunes is like reviews. It's whatever. Take a few minutes, do it. It helps us. It helps us in the whole like algorithm things that I don't even understand how they work. Yeah, smash that button um, and ring that bell. Helps us find our people, which is all we want to do yes. with this. So, little plea for that. So, that being said... It would be much appreciated. Yes. And those who have, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Uh, we're lucky so far. I think all our iTunes things are just positive ones with no troll reviews. So Oh. Hmm. Very thankful Maybe for that. Maybe this movie will change that. <laughs> we'll see. Um, what have you been watching, my friend? I watched a newish, well, a new movie. It recently came out on streaming, uh, The Menu. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to see this. Yeah, I uh, recommend it highly. I think it's very, very good. I'm not just saying that because it has Anya Taylor-Joy in it, but <laughs> she certainly does not hurt. Right. She's always great. Ray Fiennes is great in that, too. Um, in case you don't know what it's about, um, a young couple travels to a remote island to eat at, at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Um, it's directed by Mark Mylod. Who has done? He, he uh, directs a lot of episodes of one of my favorite shows, uh, Succession, on HBO. Never seen it. Yeah, if you haven't been watching that, check it out. It's really good. Um, hmm. but I don't want to say too much about the menu. I mean, the trailer pretty much tells you what's happening. Yeah, you know, they start. People start dying. Um, but it's engaging all the way through. Doesn't overstay its welcome. It's under two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it has. What more could you want? It has some uh, messages that could be applied to a lot of different things. It hmm. could be like class warfare. It could be I any sort of creativity, I think. I think it's a nice metaphor for uh, filmmaking. Oh, okay. So if you haven't seen it, watch it with that in mind. Mm-hmm. I think hmm. it has some interesting things to say about uh, interesting cause art that... and creativity and audience entitlements and things like that. Because I will say, off the trailer, that was kind of my one concern. I thought it was going to be like, there's a reality where maybe it's just they come there and then it's, oh, they're going to kill you. <laughs> and then that's all the film is. Oh, no. There's so, more to it than that, that. That's reassuring to know. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend it highly. Killer. How about you? What have you been watching? So I uh, checked out a recent Japanese film. Speaking of recent stuff. From uh, 2020, The Samajima Incident, directed by Jiro Nagae, a bit of a newer director. I don't think I really have seen much by him. Um, so what this is, um, it's what, I guess we could put it in the category of COVID horror, because it's set during the coronavirus pandemic. But it's about a, um, a young woman named Nana, and she kind of meets up with her classmates that she graduated from high school. They were all in this like music club together. And they normally would get together and have this big drinking party and kind of catch up and see how they've all been doing in their lives. But the pandemic's going on and they're on lockdown and all the restrictions. So they decide to gather on webcams and do an online drinking party where they all just stay in their homes on webcams and drink and chat together. Um, and you can kind of see where this is going. Um, there was already another very popular uh, Western film that kind of had this premise as far as the like COVID host um, host. Yeah. yeah. It's a good movie. I like Forest. Um, so it kind of has the same hook, but where this one goes is that um, of the friend group, three of them recently gathered together to go do a test of courage, which is a very Japanese ideal, but it's basically visiting like a haunted place or some weird place like that at usually at night and kind of just, you know, going there to say you went and experienced it, which I mean, we do that too. We just don't put a cool title on it. Like test of courage. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Um, but they went to one, and it was connected to this urban legend that's been circulated all over the internet, and it's become like sort of like a creepypasta-style mm-hmm. uh, rumor sort of thing. So then during their webcam session, strange supernatural events start to happen that threatens their lives. And they have to kind of unravel the mystery of this uh, curse that sounds good. to escape. Um, what I can say is it's basically kind of just host, but with a J-horror twist to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of those, and I wanted to talk about it just in relation to Cannibal Holocaust, where I would say like 80% of the film is found footage, but there's bits at the start 
and then a little bit lingered in where it's like normal, like, you know, cinematic camera mm-hmm. shots that aren't found footage. And I always wonder where you slice that. Because I know there's a lot of purists that say, like, if it's found footage, it has to be 100% you're in the camera of what's being shown. Right. And I could see that argument. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's... Eh. So, if yeah. it's printed, if it's presented inside the movie as found footage, I think it still kind of counts. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. If you're a found footage purist, this one might not be... It's going to trigger you because right at the start, you've just got pure cinematic footage of a, <laughs> of a woman walking through the Tokyo streets. Or, or then you get something like um, uh, the Leslie Vernon movie. Yeah. Where it's found footage at first, like a documentary. And, and it shifts. It shifts into like a real <laughs> conventional film. Um, it was fun. It was not the most original, I'll say. Like It was, it was very like rote, very by the numbers. Um, I do always love Japanese urban legends, especially in the digital age. So it was cool to get the mythos of that and... I'm sure it's probably based on a real urban legend mm-hmm. that those got ripe. Uh, they got ton of them. Ground to make films out of. It's just easily accessible. This film. Um, it is not. I think <laughs> okay. it played some festivals. And it's kind of bouncing around out there. No, no definitive place you can track it down. Yeah. Um, I think I gave it like a three. I'll be honest. Like if you're a J horror aficionado like me, it's worth seeing just once. Mm-hmm. It's probably more like a two or two point five star kind of film. But uh, I don't know. It was fun. Kept my interest the whole time. It was only like an hour 20. Nice. Um, the lead actress, Rena Takeda, was super cute. So yeah, Hey, yeah, I was going to ask. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll give him the star. Why not? <laughs> nice. So besides that, though, we have one more film to talk about. Yes, we had another genre exposure field trip. We did. That seems to be a trend this year. <laughs> Let's keep it going. There's actually a lot of good horror films and genre films coming out this year. Oh, yeah. We needed to wash away the taste of uh, Skinamarink. Mm-hmm. I think we did a good job with that. Yes, what we, do you su- think? we succeeded this time. We went to go check out Infinity Pool, directed by one Brandon Cronenberg. The Nepo baby of David Cronenberg. <laughs> Making a movie about Nepo babies. <laughs> <laughs> As an aside, the whole Nepo baby thing, you know, obviously, yes, they're going to have a certain advantage when you're growing up in Hollywood, Hollywood parents. That's the world you grow up in. You're going to be exposed to it. Yes, you have an unfair advantage. Not only obviously. do you already know how it works, but you're already in the location. Right. So. You probably have money. <laughs> um, but only talent's really going to keep you there. Right. And I think that uh, Brandon Cronenberg has proved that he has the freaking talent. Oh, hell yeah. Like, antiviral, like, it's not my favorite of his, for That's sure. Cool. I but, still haven't seen that for some reason. Um, it, very compelling ideas in that one. Mm-hmm. It just, some of the delivery was like, mm, I don't know. But then Possessor fucking you See, it. I actually waited to watch Possessor before we went to go see Infinity Pro. I saw it the same day. Um, I don't know why I hadn't seen it yet. Oh, it's so, so But good. it's an excellent, excellent film. And then Infinity Pool, I think, just straight up out of the gate, I'll just say I loved it. Um, I loved it too. Yeah. I think you liked it a bit more than me. I, I think so, yeah. Um, but I, it's, that's... Really, it's it's a great movie. It's very original. So since this one is super new, I don't know how much I want to say about like plot or later revelations. But yeah, I, probably the less you know going in, the better off you are. Because mm. I was definitely surprised. Just uh, Alexander Skarsgård is great in it. Mia Goth. I I'm really shocked at how good she has become. <laughs> yes. I'll be honest, everyone's like, you know, X and Pearl is like peak Mia Goth now. She's great in that. I think this maybe tops it. It's it's a completely different performance than Mm -hmm. what we've seen her do before. 
and she's 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 great. She knocks it out of the park. Um, but it's compelling story, compelling concepts. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of good, I guess, like commentary on different topics, both of like the rich and how they can kind of just get away with anything, which I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds. Sure. What with um the continued domination of Twitter <laughs> by Elon Musk. Yeah. Um. I just don't. I don't know. I just don't want to say too much more. Yeah, so I want it, me I want, I want you to discover it. Go watch it. People need to go in and check it out. Um, I think that's. I think it has a lot of. It could apply to a lot of different things too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of metaphors going on in this movie. I think I've pretty much only thought about it. We only watched it like two days ago. No, right. a day ago. Yesterday. Yeah. It feels so long. Yeah, I'm still kind of digesting it. Yeah. But man, wow. Yeah. It's good stuff. Go good, out there and check it good out. Good visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it's like it is kind of twisty but it's not like a, it's not like a weird mind bender like ultrasound or anything like and I, and I like how brandon is i mean it's definitely you can see some cronenberg influence mm-hmm. definitely for sure there's like the science gone wrong yeah in there but it's very much his own thing too mm-hmm. he's not just aping you know video drum or right, any right. of david cronenberg's films so i appreciate that and you know the theatrical cut that we saw it was trimmed down a little to get that r rating i like that about brandon too dude that, likes like, his blood yeah Possessor had like an uncut version. This one's gonna have an uncut yeah. version. He likes his stabbings, that's um, for sure. Definitely going back for the uncut on this one for sure when it mm-hmm. hits Blu-ray. Yeah. So I was five stars on it. Where are you? I think I landed at a four, maybe four and a half. I can't remember what I ranked it. Good by the Jason scale. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So definitely put this on your. Don't miss it if you've not checked it out yet. No, go do it. And that will lead us to Cannibal Holocaust. All right, today we are talking about Cannibal Holocaust from 1980. The infamous the infamous Cannibal Holocaust. The one, the only... And um, and this one we talked a little bit about before. We, we mentioned were talking it. about disturbing films a lot, yeah. Because I ran down that list of the thirteen most disturbing horror films, and it was on from, there from the book I had in high school, yeah. <laughs> and then I finally managed to track down a copy of this at the Video Vault, which yeah. was a place in Lexington, Kentucky. Back in the day, it was beneath Cut Corner Records. Uh, there were no windows in this place. It was dark. It was grungy. It was beautiful. I love this store. <laughs> And they had all the weird shit there, you know, that you couldn't find anywhere else. You weren't going to get it at your blockbuster. But this is where I got a copy of Cannibal Holocaust to rent. And it was obviously a copy of a copy. <laughs> it was very, <laughs> it was very gray market. <laughs> hmm. So when I watched it, it was, you know, on 4.3, it was probably second or third generation copy. And now we've got nice, pristine... Is it even coming out on 4K or something? I thought I saw... I know it's out on Blue. I don't know. It's not a film I keep tabs on, but... (laughs) You don't have your phone set to give you alerts on Cannibal Holocaust? Not for that one. (laughs) Pink films, yes, but... Well, it used to be a dirty, grungy, hard-to-find, whispered-about, in hushed tones kind of movie. And now it's streaming on Shudder. Right. You know, now it's getting Blu-ray releases. Joe Bob Briggs did an episode on it. You know, <laughs> so it's really come out of the shadows since back in the day. 
So I guess... What genre is it? Well, officially, on IMDb, it's tagged as adventure slash horror. I love that it's an adventure film. <laughs> I mean, I get the vibe. It's got that, like, you know, traveling out into the... Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. And then it's not, it's not, you know, adventure applies. Sure. And, and they have a goal. They're trying to find the, the people or their footage. And, mm-hmm. um, but, of course, I, this falls into the cannibal film subgenre. And more specifically, the Italian cannibal mm-hmm film subgenre which is very specific because they were all Italian <laughs> and they were popular over in the 70s into the 80s yes I have many notes about this because I wanted to talk about this more than I wanted to talk about the film <laughs> I have a few myself <laughs> uh, you, you wish to go or should um, I well you, you've already got us started with this uh, um, the, the Italian angle so let's let's roll well, well, I, was say, I think the first Italian cannibal film everyone acknowledges to be Umberto Lindsay's The Man from Deep River Yep. Which came out in 72. Have you seen this one? I have not, no. It's good. It's much less graphic. It's really more of a man called horse sort of thing, but, you know, with cannibals. Um, And it's worth watching. Cool. (laughs) And apparently the last one of this cycle was in 1988 with Naturo Contro by Antonio uh, Clemati. It's also known as Green Inferno or Cannibal (laughs) Holocaust 2. Intended to be a sequel of sorts. I think I got slapped with that after it came out. Mm. Got, the, got the zombie treatment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's some stuff I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. I'll fill in your gaps there. Okay. So there are films that predate this that kind of have these elements that could be seen as like sort of the seeds that eventually germinated into the cannibal film. Do you speak of Mondo cinema? I do speak of that, but I'm, I'm going back even further first. So okay, all right. Some of the earliest things that have these elements would be things like rainforest adventure films that were very popular in the early, early days, like the 30s and the 40s, mm-hmm. particularly like the Tarzan movies mm-hmm. that were made back then. Um, they had a lot of the same thing. of You would have sort of a primitive tribe, and they would be cannibals. Headhunters. Headhunters, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, obviously far less graphic than <laughs> the film we were talking about today. A little bit, but, yeah. Um, the idea was still there. Sure. Um and one that often comes up that's like a definitive sort of link in this chain is um, Cornell Wilde's film The Naked Prey from 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, that has a very prominent moment where there's, um, you know, like civilized white man that's gone into this place and he's chased by a tribe of natives. Um, I think they're like on a safari and he offends their chief. Yeah. And that kind of triggers this whole chase sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, another very influential film that is kind of seen as a link in the chain is from 1970 early 1970s, so exactly like right at the start of the decade, and that is Richard Harris's Western, A Man Called Horse. Ah, I just mentioned that. Yep. Um, He's noticeably, notably strung up on hooks mm-hmm. in that movie, which happens to a major character in Make Them Die Slowly, a.k.a. Cannibal Ferox, which came out after Cannibal Holocaust. Mm. Except she's strung up through her breasts. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Uh, what else do I have? Let's see here. A little early thing. I'd also like to point out how cannibalism seemed to pop up a lot in cartoons, like back in the 40s and 50s, like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. Now, I don't know if it's strictly cannibalism because they were trying to cook a rabbit, but it was like <laughs> it was like indigenous peoples right. who are you know headhunters. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to eat pretty much anything. So I think that was probably my first exposure to the idea of like cannibalism as a kid. Mm. Um, oh. One note I had was there are films that kind of play with the formula a little bit. Um, like ones where they take the idea and kind of shift it to be more in like an urban center than in the sort of this remote location or like in the jungle. 
Uh, one example is Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, and then also Zombie Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Which then that's blending even further because then you're getting zombies thrown into the mix. Right. Speaking of zombies, and you know, I haven't really seen much written about this, but I think an obvious antecedent of the cannibal film is the original Night of the Living Dead. I don't see that mentioned too often, but that was one, mm. that was probably the first movie where we see, for the time, kind of graphic gut munching. True, true, yeah. So I think the Italians really, you know, grokked that and just, you know, shifted it to a slightly different genre. Um, oh, and then despite its death, kind of like at the at the 90s, basically, of course, there have been more made on and on. A lot of it's been like direct-to-video fare or low-budget stuff. Um, and then we've had like bigger budget attempts to sort of recapture at this. The one I really think of that's prominent that I wanted to for sure mention was The Green Inferno, mm-hmm. directed Eli by Eli Roth. Yeah. Which I, I don't think is entirely successful. Not, not quite, no. But I, I appreciate what he was doing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's clear he had a lot of love for the subgenre. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to kind of pay tribute to that. And that movie definitely has its moments, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think it really works. Um, definitely nailed kind of the, I think one of the themes in Cannibal Holocaust and echoed it well to modern times of just like the, the hubris and the arrogance of the people that go there. Right. Like we know better, you know, we're civilized, we're advanced. (laughs) Um, but about the Mondo films. Yes. So that's, that's the other angle on this. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Okay. Well, the very first Mondo movie was Mondo Kane, which is where the title, the whole theme of Mondo comes from. Well, first... What are Mondo films? Mondo films are pretty much mockumentaries, but right. uh, sometimes they actually do have real footage in it. But it's basically about, you know, take a subject or just broad categories, and it's about real life bizarre rituals that happen around the world, or to be like traffic accidents, um, you know, pictures of airplane crash victims, all sorts of ghoulish things that you're not supposed to see. Mm-hmm. The Mondo films will show you. So let me ask this. Is mm-hmm. Faces of Death a Mondo film? It is a Mondo film, mm. but it is mostly faked. Right. But most of those Mondo films are mostly faked. Now, a lot of them really use, like, traffic accidents and things like that, you know. Um, and it shows real-life horrible carnage or, mm-hmm. you know, animal slaughter and things like that. Uh, but a lot of them are faked. But, I mean, I can't... I, I knew this, but I forgot how old this was. But Mondo Kane, which means a dog's world, was released back in 62. Mm-hmm. So freaking old. And I actually have a poster for a Mondo movie on my wall, Witchcraft 70, oh. which purports to show all these satanic rituals and things like that, but it's all completely fake. It's just an excuse to show some boobs. Nice. Like you need one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the most popular one of the Mondo films would definitely be Faces of Death. That is just, that was hushed about. Oh, yeah. In, on, on the playground in school. <laughs> I remember staring at the VHS box in, in the movie store. Yeah, I never saw it when I was... I didn't see it until much later, but it, the, the very thought just frightened me so badly that this movie existed back then. <laughs> I was like, I, I can't ruin it because I can't handle it. It's too real. <laughs> never knowing that uh, it's mostly faked. Yep. So with us oriented a little bit, do you want me to hit you with the synopsis or do you have the synopsis? No, you go for it. Okay. Um, determined to make a documentary about the indigenous cannibalistic tribes of the virgin Amazon rainforest, a small American film crew sets foot in the unexplored peril-laden jungle. Instead, the team disappears without a trace. Six months later, noted anthropologist Harold Monroe and his seasoned guides embark on a mission 
to locate the missing documentarians in the heart of the Green Inferno. Hmm. This sounds a little bit like Blair Witch. What gives? <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely connections there, too, because as much as this is also a, uh, a cannibal film movie, it's got a lot of found footage in there. Sure does. Now it's, this, it's considered one of the first, air quotes, found footage films. Now, this brings me back to the Samajima incident that I talked about. Mm-hmm. Because, same thing, this has a lot of footage that's just cinematic film. So it's not all presented as found footage, but a good chunk of it is, mm-hmm. like half of it. And that leads a certain authenticity to the events. It was very smart to film it this way. Whatever, you, whatever so, yeah. else you think about this movie, I will <laughs> argue that it is very well made. Very cleverly made. Undoubtedly. Um, but yeah, it opens with shots of the jungle, and we get this nice kind of soft, almost <laughs> folk-like music. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's almost like peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this, this great card that comes up on the screen after the credits. It says, for the sake of authenticity, some sequences have been retained in their entirety. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately they're kind of setting up their explanation for the dramatized bits. is like, well, we're going to dramatize some of this, but then... But the footage you're going to see is real, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we start with a reporter in New York City. And he's talking pretty much about how great humanity is. Um, All the great things we've done. We've gone to the moon. Gone to the moon. We've built these big towering skyscrapers. And yeah, we're just so great and special. And how we've forgotten about all the little isolated places in the world. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the dark corners of the earth, you might say. Mm-hmm. Unexplored regions. And he talks about this group of uh, journalists that have gone missing after they ventured into the Amazon, or the Green Inferno, as he calls it. Mm-hmm. And we get some great shots of New York City streets. It's obviously 1979, <laughs> because we see a huge poster for John Badham's Dracula. Um, so people gather around watching a television, and they're watching the reporter talking about he introduces the uh, four children of the space age, he calls them, <laughs> the journalists that have gone missing. Very theatrical for yeah, a reporter. That's great. Um, so these these journalists that are missing, uh, Alan Yates is the leader. Mm-hmm. Played by Carl Gabriel York. Yes. Uh, Faye Daniels is, and this is verbatim from the, the script, his girlfriend and script girl. <laughs> Played by Francesca <laughs> Chiardi. Uh, Jack Anders, one of the cameramen. Played by Perry Perkinen. And Mark T- Tommaso. Played by Luca Barbareschi. Yes, also a cameraman. And like they're playing the last bit of footage of the journalists before they leave the Amazon, and they're all cocky and yeah. joking they're, they're around. They're immediately assholes that you want to die. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But they're all young and like free-spirited types, you know. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Call them what you will. Oh, <laughs> uh, and we learn that there is a rescue team mm-hmm. uh, being formed by New York University and the broadcasting company that sent them out there in the first place. And we meet Professor Harold Monroe, played by Robert Kerman. Yes, we know he's a professor because he's smoking a pipe. Mm-hmm. And he just has that look. Uh, now, speaking of looks, if, if Robert Kerman looks familiar to you, <laughs> you may know him better under the name Arbola, where he started in like over a hundred adult films in the golden age of porn. 
Uh, probably most notably, Debbie Does Dallas from 1978. Oh. Where he was lucky enough to share a scene with Bambi Woods. <laughs> I'm sure Michael would be proud of you right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, he's, he's actually a pretty decent actor, I think. Um, I was doing a little reading about it, and apparently after this film, he didn't get many more legitimate role offers. Yeah. And he ended up going back to porn again. Mm-hmm. He has some, he has a blink and you miss it cameo in Spider Man the first one. <laughs> Sam Raimi. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh, let's see. Crazy. All right. So they got the uh, okay. So pretty much we go to the Amazon then. Um. Oh yeah, there's just like this group of soldiers start right. opening fire on this uh, group of uh, indigenous peoples that are there. And they're like chomping on, looks like arms that have some meat left on them and stuff like that. Yep. Um, it's like a Yakimo tribe, I think is what they say. And there's two specific tribes they talk about. The Yanomamo oh, yeah. and the Shamatari, which are both actual South American native tribes. We should make very clear right now before we go any further, neither one of them is accurately portrayed in any way, shape, or form at all <laughs> in this shocking. film. shocking. Are you sure? Um, and should not be taken as any level of fact or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not exactly the most dignified portrayals of indigenous people, that's for sure. And is this maybe where we also want to pepper in the fact that um, they didn't pay a lot of people for their roles as the as the native Yeah, a lot of the indigenous people, yeah. they just completely stiffed. Didn't yeah. give them anything. Not cool. <laughs> not cool, dude. Not cool, Diodato. Of course, that could have been the, the producer's fault, not exactly Diodato's. But sure. Anyway. I'm, I'm <clears> sure on a Italian film set in the late 70s, early 80s, that money was just changing hands <laughs> left and right. <laughs> well, apparently, um, it was a huge Coke party because the town that they were stationed <laughs> in was apparently a huge hub mm-hmm. for cocaine trafficking. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So Diodato has a story if he walks into one of their, you know, bungalows or whatever, and it's like everyone, even like the older people, like seamstresses, they're all just partying with huge mounds of coke. <laughs> no wonder this film's crazy. Uh, so the soldiers uh, take a hostage. Yes. And they're like, oh, he's going to lead us back to their uh, to their village. Mm-hmm. And they plan to use him to negotiate once they get there. Yeah. Um, Professor Monroe arrives in the seaplane. Good shot, too, of it coming in and mm-hmm. landing and stuff. It reminds me of uh, The Wicker Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he speaks with a lieutenant from the military who hands him a necklace taken from the tribesman that has Faye's lighter mm-hmm. as part of it. So there's confirmation that, oh, they were there, these, these natives, indigenous people, encountered the journalist. So they have some sort of track to follow. And then he meets his guide... Chaku! <laughs> total badass, played by Salvatore Basile. Yeah. I guess Franco Nero was busy that day or something. <laughs> <laughs> he does have that vibe a little bit. He does. Uh, but this dude's like a vet. Like, you can just tell he's been through everything. He's like a G.I. Joe figure. Yeah. <laughs> Ricondo. I think that was the G.I. Joe's name. He was like the survivalist. <laughs> um, yeah, and now we kind of just get this really sort of like travel log. This is this is definitely the adventure segment of this film. Yeah, they're trekking through the forest, hacking down all the vines and stuff like that. And it's interesting, like how I guess how hopeful the professor is at this point. 
He even says that he hopes that they can still find them, like, alive mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, but you can tell that Chaco's kind of just like, huh, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah cause say they're going in the jungle, they, their unwilling guide is taking them. Oh, there's a scene where they have to cross a river, and one of the men gets a bunch of leeches on him, and Chaco just laughs at it. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> the guy's freaking out. He's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, oh, they find the remnants of a camp. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chaco says that it's not Yukumo, and they believe that they're on the trail of the journalists. Because uh, it's like the remnants of a camp, mm-hmm. like a burnt fire and stuff like that. Obviously not typical no. of the area. <laughs> but, but then he stumbles across a very decomposed body. It's like covered in worms and maggots and everything. It's made really well too, like just the the setup of yeah. everything. Yeah, it looks good and gross. Uh <laughs> writhing with bugs, too. But Chaco he recognizes the teeth and says that it's the body of Felipe, which was the journalist's guide. Yeah. I, I don't know what was so special about <laughs> Felipe's teeth that he recognizes, but they don't linger long enough to see. I don't know if maybe he had like a certain like a Yeah, if he had a, like a solid Gold, gold tooth bridge or something, or something yeah. like that. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, how intimate was this dude with his mouth? You know, <laughs> I'm not hey. judging. I'm just, it's odd. <laughs> hey, jungle guide's got to stick together, you know, <laughs> for thick, sure. Thick and thin. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Then we get some horrible, um, completely unnecessary animal slaughter. Yes. Yeah, the first of unfortunately many. Yeah. They call it a muskrat, but it's actually a coati. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they so and did you watch it uncut this time? Uh, mm, I was just asking. I, I averted my eyes you to certain scenes because okay. I just don't need to see this anymore. Um, so I don't watch this film often. I, I saw it like probably in high school at some point. And no one should watch it often. I revisit it like, gosh, I, it's probably been like ten years. Yeah, till once now. a decade's about right. <laughs> um, so I did I did watch it uncut, but um, shush. It's harsh. Yeah. And there's no point. And, and, and let's take this moment now to condemn all the animal torturing and killing in this movie. It is completely not necessary. The only reason they did it was to make you think that humans aren't being killed. You know? Yep. It's, Which I wanted to pull. I pulled a quote I wanted to bring into this specifically to talk about it. Let me find it. Cause I, I don't believe in killing an animal for a fucking movie. You know? Okay. Um... This was from Lloyd Kaufman, so again, take that however you want. Um, I love trauma, but I know a lot of people... Uncle Lloyd um, would never lie to us. Speaking of the film, he compared a lot of the scenes like that to Vesvalod Pudovkin's theory on montage, saying that um, in Cannibal Holocaust, we see the actors kill and rip apart a giant sea turtle and other animals. At this point, the brain has been conditioned to accept that which it's now seen as real. This mixture of real and staged violence combined with the handheld camera work and the rough unedited quality of the second half of the movie, and it's certainly enough to convince someone that everything they are watching is real. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't validate any of the things that happened, but no, I will say that I do agree with his statement there that it does kind of put you in this weird place where oh, for sure, it does make everything else like hit different. Mm-hmm. It does, and, and we should say that a lot of the animals were eaten. Mm-hmm. By the crew and some of the indigenous people, but does still, that make it right? No, no. no. 
Um, but then a lot of people also pointed out that there's animal killings and, you know, movies that are considered great works of art, like Apocalypse Now, El Topo, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, it's, <laughs> mm. yeah. Anyway, not cool. We don't condone that. And it's one of the things that really does mar this movie. Yeah. That'll be our first one star bad review. It'll be like these pussies couldn't handle the animal violence and cannibal like us. But I mean it does raise the question. It's it's like also other cultures, they have a different view mm. on animals and things like that. And a lot of people are uncomfortable just seeing an animal killed, period. Right. Because, but we are so far removed from right, right. having to actually kill our own food. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a. I like meat. I eat meat. Would I if I had to go out and kill my own animals for it? I don't know. I really don't. Okay, listen. This is an embarrassing story, but um, when I was a young child, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of embarrassing stories start that yes. way, don't they? Um, my, my dad wanted to teach me to hunt, right? Like mm. bow hunting, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. And I like cried about it and had an aversion to it because I had seen Bambi and the thought that like if I shot and killed a doe, it had like a child somewhere mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have its mother anymore. Right. Like fucked with me so bad. Yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never hunted and killed anything. I shot a right. bird once with a BB gun. I felt so horrible about it. I never did it again. But I do eat meat. Mm-hmm. You know, so somewhere some animal is being killed for me. You know, right. I'm just not doing it myself. Mm-hmm. So if anything, this movie can kind of hold a mirror up to you and be like, hey, something very much like this is happening right right now to a creature that you're going to consume. Which, regardless of how you feel, it's It's never bad to reflect on that kind of stuff. Right. Maybe it's not being filmed for entertainment, sure. Um, But, I mean, you know, it kind of sticks with you. It makes you think. And now someone out there is like, well, why don't you become a vegetarian? I'm like... I fucking love cheeseburgers. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah. He gives the uh, Yakumo tribesmen a bump of Coke. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause laughs> so he, he wouldn't run off. Yeah, because he's being a little belligerent and they're worried he might try to escape in the night. Yeah. And it, it's funny because he just like sprinkles it out on his knife. Yeah, and like blows it into his face. <laughs> yeah. And then he takes a little himself and then he offers it to the professor. And the professor's kind of like, nah, I'm uh, I'm good. Yeah, he turned down a beer earlier. He's a teetotaler. Mm-hmm. I have a, I'm pretty sure Arbola likes to party. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think the professor's just trying to be a good anthropologist yeah, and be right. be prescient and stay ready on task. to stay on task. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they travel up some more and come to a river, and this is probably the f- the first real uh, hardcore act of violence that we see in the film. Mm-hmm. Because um, a man comes up on a canoe and he's like pulling a woman out onto the mud and ties her up to a post and then proceeds to assault her with what looks to be a stone dildo. Yeah. Savagely. Yeah. And Monroe <laughs> says it looks like some sort of punishment for adultery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chaco says, just sit back and enjoy the show. Ew. <laughs> I don't like him anymore. Chaco's a, a jaded guy. He very much is. Because <laughs> he says that the assailant will lead them back to his village. Yep. They're going to track him back. Yeah. Um, when it becomes obvious that this dude's about to murder this girl, Monroe tries to stop him, but Chaco holds him back. And, uh, yeah, he smashes her head with this 
like mud ball rocks in it. Put your body in the canoe and just like shoves it off. Yeah. Simple business. Yep. But they do follow him back to his village. <laughs> and there's a funny scene where they're they're hiding. Yeah, they're uh, hiding in like a thicket of like tall grass. Yeah, but they know that the Akuma are out there somewhere. So they send Miguel, that's his name. Mm-hmm. He goes off with their prisoner and strips completely naked. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this is, is supposed to impress the Yakumos. <laughs> Plenty of full frontal nudity in this film too, by the way. It's equal opportunist nudity movie, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, 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 the tribe, they shoot darts at him. They land short. They weren't trying to kill him. Yeah, it was more of a test to yeah. see if he would run. So they they win his the respect. Yeah. So they're kind of allowed to follow them back to the village. And they're looking around. And Monroe is seeing like a necklace made with like a film canister as yeah. like the medallion of it and stuff like that. So, so they're finding their stuff, which is closer. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the village is like it's in ruin. And there's like bodies laying everywhere. Which is... Odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Miguel gives him a gift of a switchblade. <laughs> yeah. I love how he like, teaches them how it works, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And they seem to dig this, so they help him out some more. And then, what, the next day they kind of travel on, right? They go deeper. Yeah, they come into the territory of the tree people and the swamp people. Yep. Uh, and this is what... Um, Oh yeah, they save one from death, right? It's um, or am I jumping ahead? I think you're jumping ahead. Yeah, my bad. Because we see the tree people. No, it's the uh, swamp people. They're like trying to smoke one of the tree people out of their of the of top of the tree. Mm, yeah, and yeah. She yeah. falls to her death, and they follow them, dragging their victims back to their village, where we see them being eaten, carved apart. Oh yeah, because Monroe and his men they open fire on the swamp people and chase them off, so they kind of gain more trust from the tree people. And <laughs> Monroe figures the best way to really get in good with them is to get naked and get in the river and get fondled by a bunch of the younger women in the tribe. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously. Purely as an experiment. Purely as an experiment. As an anthropologist. <laughs> but apparently that does the trick. Do you see how that works, Jason? If you're an anthropologist, you just... <laughs> Um, after that, they're taken to this uh, area where there's like a mass of remains. It's like in a big like net. It's like remains of people, mm-hmm. and it's obviously the journalist. Yeah, because it has the, their the, clothes. The and, film reels are there. Yeah, film reels are there. A lot of their belongings are there. It's obviously that they are dead. Yep, and, and he wants the film reels, but of course, it's theirs. They he can't just take it. Mm-hmm. There's got to do a little bit more for that. All right, so he he produces his tape recorder, which we should back up maybe and say he's done these little recordings yeah. a few times along the way. They're not significant. It's just kind of him recapping what's going on. Right. But, yeah, just part of his research. Sure. But he's recorded some of their singing, some of their songs. Yeah. And they seem pretty impressed by that. And so he trades that for the film reels. Mm-hmm. So at least they can bring those back and maybe figure out what happened. But they decide they're going to have a dinner, too. So they cook one of the swamp people, and they make... Well, they actually don't even cook them. They just eviscerate right. them, and they make Monroe take a bite of his cuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's funny, because you can see that Monroe is hesitant, and then Chaco's like, you you have to do this. Yeah. Because it's one of those things, like, you can tell the vibe, like, if he turns it down, that's probably it for them. Mm-hmm. But then we're back in New York. 
Right. And Monroe's Smash being, back. <laughs> Monroe's <laughs> being interviewed by this uh, reporter. Uh, he talks about how he was given the film cans. And he has some interesting dialogue here, I thought. Um, Monroe says that uh, the tribes people just felt like uh, the film cans were a threat. They thought the silver boxes contained their power, a power that caused much damage and violence, mm-hmm. which is something that people think about this movie and right. other movies of its ilk, that it has a power, that it does, you know, contain mm-hmm. a threat. Because then go jump to stuff like the video nasties and they say, oh, it's corrupting the children. Right. And right. All that. So I wonder if that was a little dig or am I reading too much into that? <laughs> it's a good analysis. I'll say that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> was it intentional? I don't know, but it works. I like it. Oh, and the interviewer says that they're going to be playing the footage at a later date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Monroe says he wants to review all the recovered footage first. And the, the network execs are like, yeah, let's just put it out there. Yeah. They, they say, just run it all together. Put it out. Uh, it's a, they're these great documentarians. So it'll just be a, f- a final tribute to them. Because they're just dollar signs. Right. You know, all the sensationalism and publicity and everything. They don't care. Because what we're led to believe is there's never been any footage of these tribes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I think at this part, the network, the network execs play like part of a documentary made by the crew called The Last Road to Hell. Yeah, it's uh, he's reluctant still to kind of take this job of being like the host right. of the story for them, and they they're kind of like, well, let us let us tell you more about um, Alan and his team and what they've done. And yeah, they're like they're that. really good professional journalists. Mm-hmm. So they show him the last documentary they worked on, The Last Road to Hell, which this is kind of like a Mondo movie, basically. It is very much. It's like a bunch of executions and mm-hmm. stuff, firing squads. And um, she informs Monroe that they actually staged some of the scenes to make things more exciting. Uh, she, I think she pretty much said it was all faked. Yeah. Of course, the funny part is that this footage is actually real. I know. Isn't that <laughs> insane? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was taken from... Um... Oh, no. Oh, uh, authentic execution footage shot in Nigeria and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly the sort of thing that would be in those Mondo movies. It would be your little cut of something real between the the faked parts. Indeed. So at least he's intrigued enough to try. So he he begins to review the recovered footage. And the first thing we've got going on is kind of just them charting out into the rainforest. What I think the first big event is their guide gets bitten by a snake. <laughs> Philippe, the one with the nice teeth. Yep, yep. And he keeps he screams, "Cut off my leg!" So they do. They just just that. Great effect here too. Like it looks so natural. Yeah, it looks pretty good. But yeah, they they tie off his leg, you know, and cut it off, and they cauterize it. But it wasn't enough. He he dies anyway. Oh, they they kill the snake too. So that's another bit of animal death. Of course, Friday the 13th did that too. Remember True. that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the, the snake handler didn't even, they didn't know that he, they were going to kill his snake. He was super pissed. <laughs> <sighs> that's a weird movie. Really yeah, is. just bring us your snake. Bring, bring us a snake. <laughs> any, any snake. <laughs> um, so eventually they find some of the Yakumo in this clearing 
Oh, I want to back up something real uh, quick. Okay, sure. Because one of the first things they see was the crew in their hotel room getting ready to disembark. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Faye comes out and she's naked. You know, they all spend a lot of time together and not a big deal. But they're immediately also ogling her with the camera mm-hmm. and stuff and being very inappropriate. Um, and the editor says, he keeps saying how professional they were. And, you know, he and, and uh, Monroe are kind of laughing at this. And he says, yeah, they were a crew of clowns. And then they immediately says, they were real professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I guess that's one of those, uh, I don't know how much I agree with it, but the end justifies the means. If they, they made the successful documentary, then whatever. Yeah. Oh, we also get a little bit with him trying to interview the family members. Hmm. Yeah, that's like interspersed throughout. Yeah, and all the family members pretty much don't have anything good to say about any of the missing people. Yeah. Either they're estranged or distant. The one just says, my son's dead. Yeah. Just let it go. Yeah. Leave me alone. Uh, one of them, uh, he's married and she says, I've been married like two years. I've seen him maybe four months. And then right yeah. in front of her kid, he's like, he was really good in bed. <laughs> and she says, do you think I can get any money out of this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, but they, they find a, a tribe member in a clearing. They decide they're going to shoot him in the leg so that they can follow him back to the village mm-hmm. and get its location. Right. Also, the editor had talked about how a lot of the film was damaged. Mm-hmm. So he did what he could to, to recover it. it. And he even added a temp track. Yeah. So that's, that, where, that's where the music comes from. Is that just doing a little music to spice it up? Yeah. But the damaged film is a pretty genius way of getting around some of the edits right. needed for the gore scenes and stuff. Which that's like the ultimate found footage 101 technique. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of pioneered that. As, as far as I know, I can't think of anything before this time that kind of used that sort of method. There could be, but of things that are like prominent that you really will just think of right away. Yeah. Right. Um, um, so oh, the, also before they get to that dude's village is the turtle scene. Oh, yeah. So I guess we have to talk about this. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, hardest scene in the film, I think, because... It's bad. Yeah. Yes, you can eat a turtle. Yes, A lot of people do. Yes, people do. Um, but to see a large turtle like this and the way they kill it, and they literally show it full on and never cut away Mm-mm. the entire time. Mm-mm. God, it's like one of the hardest scenes to watch ever. Yeah, and and Faye vomits, mm-hmm. and that was actually the actress just vomiting. Yep, there was a lot of uh, bad blood over this. A lot of the crew like didn't want to do this scene. Right. Um, I think it was uh, yeah. Uh, Perry Perkinen, who played Jack, he was the one who was mostly killing the turtle. Mm-hmm. And apparently this really affected him. Yeah, they said that um, the second he was like off camera, he just started crying, like bawling mm-hmm. his eyes out. And apparently no one was ever really able to track him down after this. Yeah. Like for like interviews and things like that. I can't imagine, dude. Like, Yeah. Um, and then two, it's got like, because the editor guy added the music in, it's got like this terrible, like, I mean, it's good, but it's, Terrible in effect, like somber tune that's playing as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of the music, it was done by Riz Ortolani, mm, yeah. who did the music for Mondo Kane. Oh. And you know that a small piece of music used in this was also from Don't Torture a Duckling in 1972. Yeah, because he scored that too. Yeah. A little Fulci favorite of mine. Mm hmm. Now, and the editing was also was done by let's see, Galtiero uh, Giacopetti, 
who was the director of Mondo Kane and another popular Mondo movie, Africa Audio. So they really went to the source to oh, yeah. capture that He didn't field. hide his Mondo influences on this. Um, I guess the only other thing I want to say about the turtle scene is that uh, of stuff we've done for the podcast, I would rank this as the hardest thing I've had to watch beside the baby rape in a Serbian film. Really? I think like it had that same feeling. Yeah. The turtle's like, bad, like, like, I agree. Almost unbearable. But I was actually more affected by the mammals killed. Mm-hmm. Like even the Kwadi and, and the monkeys, which were about at that scene too, mm-hmm. kind of got me a bit more. I think for it's just the turtle's so... It's so big. So big. Yeah. And it's so drawn out. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's hor- I'm not saying it's not horrible, but it is. Like, like uh, the, they the, do eat it. Yeah. Eh. Like, like the Cody, like that's so quick. Like it's bad, but it's you know a few seconds and it's done. And then the well, turtles, they do chop like, the, head, the turtles head off. I mean, yeah. it's, it's fairly quick when they cut it off. But okay, not to laboriously dig in on this scene, but. <laughs> What's terrible about it is after they do that, the limbs are still like flailing sure. and stuff. Too. Right, and, right. Ah. I'm not. Yeah, again, I'm not <laughs> saying it isn't horrible. It is horrible. It's deplorable. It does not need to be filmed for a fucking movie. Completely agree. We can't really sit here and argue about which animal killing is the worst. Ugh. Uh, that's going to be our... Uh, look for our BuzzFeed article about the top 10 worst animal kills. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any other worse animal killings in movies? Let us know in the comments. Hey, you know, if we ever go to like a local convention, maybe that should be our panel as we do <laughs> the worst animal kills and just pack like 50 people in a room and make them watch. Oh, man. <laughs> Two or three freaks would really be into it. Never invited back. <laughs> yeah, so where they shoot that dude in the leg, they're like, they're, they're killing and eating monkeys. Yeah. And apparently monkey brains really were a delicacy to these people. Which is fine. Right. So we are kind of seeing how these people would kill the monkeys, which... Vaguely. Right. I'm sure it's probably a (laughs) bit more ruthless than it was in real life. But again, we get the whole thing about in real life, animals are killed for Mm -hmm. their meat. I don't know. It's it's a very... Yeah. Very confrontational movie. Which is good. It's good to be challenged, I say. Yeah. And at this point, Monroe is kind of like shaking his head. You know, we see him over the movieola thing. Yeah. And the editor says, "You think that if you think that's bad, it gets worse." And I like that about it, that. Like the editor's already seen it all. Yeah. yeah he's assembled it and but, did a temp score and everything. But we don't know what's coming up. <laughs> like the professor. Uh, so they get to the village, mm-hmm. and this is the one that we saw earlier that they had gotten to, and it was like half ruined. Yeah, it's all fucked up. Yeah. And we learned why it was fucked up. Yeah. And all the villagers are just kind of like looking at them in puzzlement. Like no one's yeah. like, you know, they're not hostile. It's kind of like, who are these people? Yeah. <sighs> so here's another animal killing. They shoot a pig. Yep. Which um, there's a fun. I take that back. It's, fun. Not, it's not a fun thing. I have a note about this. This is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> we need our bullhorn. Uh, wah, 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 wah. Oh. After they kill the pig, uh, Carl Gabriel York was supposed to have this monologue of like a bunch of stuff that he said, mm-hmm. and it was really important, and they wanted to have it in the film, and they rehearsed it a bunch of times, and he did it just fine, and he was like, I got it, I'm perfect. And then when they did it, and he heard the pig squealing as it died, he could not do it. Yeah. He just fucked it up, just didn't start it. He was supposed to be the one to shoot it, too. Yeah. 
Um, and they couldn't do any retakes because they were only allotted one pig to kill. Yeah. Ooh, apparently, um, the guy who plays a Mark, Luca Babareshi, mm-hmm. apparently he grew up on a farm. So he was like, well, I'm not, I kill pigs, you know, for food. You know, that's what we did. <laughs> so he didn't have a problem shooting it. Which they did eat again. But yeah. I, right. <laughs> it's like that scene uh, in uh, Pink Flamingos with the chicken. Right. So we got all upset about that. And, you know, John Waters is like, we ate it afterwards. <laughs> Does that make it okay? Hmm. Got to use your own judgment there. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, you you could tell that the actor York that he's yeah he's distraught after this, and, and you know it's not worth it, but it does give the actors something to really latch on to. You know, they're not really yeah. acting at this point. Yeah, they're they're kind of just in it. Yeah. So then they gather all the, or at least most of the villagers. And they kind of hurt them hut. and yeah. push them around. Yeah, and they set it on fire. Yeah. So they have this nice burning hut with everyone dying inside. Yeah. And they're saying that, oh, they're going to blame the tree people on this. Mm-hmm. And they're going to film it. And it's going to be like some big war. And they're going to yeah. get, get it all on camera. Get lots of cool footage. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I guess Mass Murder turns Jack on. Because there's immediately a sex scene between him and Faye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is also problematic. The actress, uh, well, there's a funny story how she approached York saying, hey, maybe we should have sex before this. So, you know, we're comfortable with each other and we, you know. Yeah. Um, Be authentic. Yeah. But York was like, no. (laughs) Because he said, I've seen what's out in the jungle. I'm not getting out there naked in the jungle at night (laughs) with everything that's out there. He also claimed that at the time he had a girlfriend back in New York who was waiting on him. Yeah. However, in a 2009 interview, Chiardi stated that the sex scenes were not simulated and that they were lovers during the filming. Hmm. There's no, uh, it's just a back and forth thing. There's no confirmation. Interesting. Not that we care really. I don't think. I don't care. Yeah. Well, Someone might care. It doesn't. Yeah. If you care, there's no confirmation. <laughs> um. Yeah, but it's not, um, what do I want to say? But it's not, I guess, titillating at all. Not really. No. I mean, there's like tribesmen in the background. You know, they're mm. just kind of there watching. Yeah. And I guess Mark doesn't, or Alan doesn't know they're being filmed because he looks up afterward. And he's like, right. oh, you're filming us. <laughs> yeah. This is probably a good time to mention the Cursed Films episode for Cannibal Holocaust. That's on oh, Shutter. Oh, yes. You should go check that yeah, out. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. It will be a good companion piece. Definitely. And more scholarly than we. Yeah. Um, so it's about this time that Monroe is kind of even more hesitant about this whole documentary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's upset that they've been staging stuff and footage to make and the way they're <laughs> yeah. mistreating the natives. And the execs are talking about the authenticity of the footage yeah. at the same time. Um, they have a very Ed Wood vibe to them where no matter what happens, they just kind of go, no, this is great. Well, the the female exec, I don't think she's ever even named. So no, they're just like, in the credits, they're just like first executive, second executive. Yeah. Uh, she says, the more you rape the audience's senses, the happier they are. Mm. Which is also sort of a meta quote for this movie, right? Yeah. 
It also made me think of uh, Videodrome, right? Yeah. That was their whole kind of philosophy for their network, is they right. just need to keep going more and more extreme. Yep. <sighs> so we get a neat cut where, like, we don't see the rest of his viewing of the footage, but he finishes watching it all. Mm-hmm. Right. He takes the execs yeah. into the screening room and was like, you all need to finish watching this before yeah. you even consider airing any of it. Yeah, because first he says, I'm not going to do it. You can't air this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we're going to air it. It's just, do you want to be involved or not? Right. And that's when he's like, no, no, no. I need to show you the rest of the footage because no one's seen it but the editor and me. And mm-hmm. it's going to change everything. So then that really hypes up kind of the rest of the film, which is when we switched to pretty much entirely found footage until like the, the, the they cut back a few times for their reactions but mm-hmm. yeah Monroe has an interesting line where he says that the footage is dishonest and offensive mm-hmm. again allegations slung at this movie right <laughs> and the execs <laughs> say that you know it's a rough cut and they can make it look like anything they want mm-hmm. yeah so they all sit down to watch it and there's more torture. We see a forced abortion, which Monroe says is a uh, what does he call it? No, Alan. Alan, yeah. Says it's an ancient ritual. He's just BSing, man. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know. know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> he's like, they've got an obsession with virginity. <laughs> um. Also, in when it comes back on, this is where we get the um the other rape that happens, right? Yeah, they see a young woman. Uh, Hiding, they think she's a tree person. They they keep calling her a monkey, and they Ugh. proceed to sexually assault her. Yeah, and, and finally the execs are starting to look uncomfortable while they're filming <laughs> this rape. And even Faye's like, "What are you doing? We can't use this." Not even not even really trying to stop it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she gets pissed at one point. She only really gets mad when Alan yeah when takes Alan joins turn. in. But Which, her her concern is just don't waste the film. Yeah, she says we only got like two or three more reels left. Yeah, we Which, can't use this. I have a note about this scene too. Um, apparently, this was another scene that really got to York during yeah. the filming. Yeah. Um, and there's a quote from him, and this is he says, um, "I was the last one to rape her. I dropped my pants and jumped on her and did my best to pretend for the scene, and then Francesca, as my movie girlfriend, pulled me backwards off the girl playing the part." She did a good job of it, sending me right down into the mud on my ass. Or should I say, in my ass. <laughs> I felt the mud go right up my butt, and that's when it happened. That's when I couldn't control my human feelings. A huge wave of anger rose up through my torso like lava. I felt like I had superhuman strength as I grabbed Francesca and threw her to the side, and then dove back in to finish the scene. This might be my most honest moment in the movie. As soon as we were done with the scene, we all had lunch together. This is the reality on a movie set. Mm-hmm. You you can tell he's not acting when he shoves her, no. and she's not either. <laughs> and he says that he she also chipped one of his teeth because she was really hitting him, mm. and she was really biting him at one point. <laughs> and we're just seeing them all go a little insane here. Yeah. Which again, you think of Blair Witch, kind of the later latter act of that when they start to yeah turn on unravel each other and yeah. Um. So they're done with her and they're moving on, but... Um, the girl on the wooden pole. I do want to talk about that too. That's what I was um, about to bring up. Okay. The most indelible image from this movie. Yes. I mean, when you think of this movie, this is what you think of. Continue. Uh, they come across the girl they just assaulted. Mm-hmm. Um, she is impaled on a stake. It's like it's going through her vagina and out her mouth. 
Yeah. She's completely nude. And as far as like makeup and effects go, it looks great. Yeah. It, apparently it was really <laughs> convincing <laughs> to a lot of people. Because this is one of the things that got Diodato in court. Yeah. We'll come back to that at the end, I think. Yeah. It's the best time to get into that. Um, and I like the scene because Alan's looking at this and he's like smiling. Mm-hmm. He's just he's enthralled by this horrible. And Jack says, watch Alan, I'm shooting. So then Alan immediately just goes stone face and starts talk, feigning shock. Talking about how it must be some part of some sexual right. Because people have a profound respect for virginity. <laughs> Um, so the way they shot this, because again, it does look so perfect. Um, the girl sat on a bicycle seat attached to the pole's base. Mm-hmm. And then she held a small pointed piece of balsa wood in her mouth. Yeah. And then they just came in and added the blood and yeah, it, it stuff. looks It's a very simple effect, but it's very effective. Um, he said when they shot the scene, the girl was unusually calm and she remained very still the entire time. It went off without a hitch. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Which they use it as a poster, too, for the film, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they continue on. And then they are suddenly surrounded by the tree people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're shooting at them, and Alan says, shit, like, keep rolling. We're going to get an Oscar for this. Uh, Jack takes a spear to the chest. Which is pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> Alan just shoots him. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's where they can film uh, the people, the tree people. Eating them. Eating them. Eating them. Cutting them up and eating them. Um, which it's, it's brutal. They, they, they hack his dick off and yeah, <laughs> there's a funny scene. They cut back to the screening room and one of the execs that he like crosses his legs yeah. <laughs> right after that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They chop him all up, chop his head off and it's pretty, pretty fairly convincing. I yeah. think, I mean, it, it doesn't look real, but mm-hmm. it looks good due to the low quality of the film and all the... Yeah, there's never a point where there's a, there's an obvious, like, oh, that's so fake right. kind of thing. And they obviously must have buried the actor in the ground because they have his head sticking up like it's been cut off. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that helps sell it. Um, so we get a lot of cuts here because they're on the run. So the camera will be shaky and then it kind of cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Alan is saying how screwed they are. Uh, yep, he says they're lost. Um, they're surrounded. They're shooting flare guns they, at them. They don't have any <clears throat> of their supplies now. Uh, Faye gets grabbed by a group of them. And <laughs> Alan and Mark, is he the other one that's still alive? Yeah. Yeah. They film her rape and dismemberment. Well, Alan wants to charge in and save her. He wants like Mark to drop the camera, then team up and try to get her out of there. But Mark keeps filming. Yeah. Yeah. And she is uh, stripped naked, gang raped, beaten to death, beheaded. Yep. Cut up, feasted upon. Tough scene. Don't want to labor on it too much. No. Um, probably... But I mean, as the gore effects and the stuff, that I could talk about. Yeah. Because it's not a real animal being killed. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. And then pretty much they, they get to uh, Mark and Allen. And they, they, they get Alan first. Yeah. We see the camera fall down and then his bloody face kind of fills the screen as he falls over. And we go back to the old screening room and <laughs> Professor Monroe's looking quite smug in this moment. Yeah, they don't even say anything. One of the execs just goes to a phone, picks it up and says, yeah, burn all that footage. 
and satisfied and content that he prevented this tragedy. He leaves smoking his pipe. He leaves smoking his pipe as and, we met him. And he wonders to himself who the real cannibals are. <laughs> Which I guess can be a theme in this film, but... It's a very shallow, very... Such a heavy-handed, shallow way to give it at the end. Oh, and there's a little code I know at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That says that the projectionist John K. Kirov was given a two-month suspended jail sentence and a $10,000 fine for illegal appropriation of the film material. We know that he received $250,000 for the same footage <laughs> because we paid him. <laughs> so, again, trying to say, oh, this footage is real. Right. They have to keep their narrative. Yeah. And that is Cannibal Holocaust. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> So, I have a lot of notes here. All right. Go over. Um, I'll, I'll just start from the top. So, um, talking a little bit about like why he made this film. Diodato said his inspiration was that he was watching his son see a TV news report. And it had to do with some violence. It was... Um, the Red Brigades. Yeah, yeah. And he said as he viewed it, he realized that to him it seemed like the journalists were focusing on the violence... To try to just capture sensational footage. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. It also wasn't his first cannibal film. True. He had done uh, The Last Cannibal World back in 77. And uh, West German distributors wanted him to make another movie in that vein. And eventually he had a whole cannibal trilogy with uh, Cut and Run in 85 as the last one. Cut and Run. I'm not familiar yeah. with that. Oh, Inferno in Diretta. Yes, that that is the Italian title. Okay. Huh. The very very cheeky English title there for it. I have to check this out. Um. Oh, another inspiration he mentioned. Um, was a documentary that he said, or it was a film he saw about a documentary crew that died while investigating cannibals in Africa. Um, he says some of the scenes he depicted in the film were from the documentary, um, but it was destroyed after its discovery. An Italian cable network claimed they had a copy of it and were going to show it, but it never aired. Hmm. And it's never been confirmed if that's a thing or not at all. It's interesting. So it could be true. It could just be some uh, part of the hype machine yeah. on this movie to blow it up for Yeah, there's been a lot of things that have been contested that have been said about this movie. <clears throat> um, We can talk about money real quick. So in the 10 days it was released before it got banned in Italy, it grossed approximately $1.9 million. That's not bad in that short of a time. No. In that era. Um, and it's hard to get the exact numbers because, mm-hmm. of course it is. And then all the times it's been released and re-released. I know it was popular in the grindhouses on 42nd Street. Yeah. Um, but there's people that claim that the film has grossed $200 million worldwide. That seems excessive. But there's no verifications on that. Right. So, And no way to ever pin it down, I would say. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, Italy banned it for, I want to say, three years. Um, it was denied a theatrical release in the U.S. for five years. Um, Norway banned it until 2003 mm-hmm. and many more I'm sure I just 
pulled a few to mention. And Diodata was brought up on charges of obscenity. Yes, that's that's what we need to get to, is he got brought into court over this film. Mm-hmm. Because they thought he really killed people. Yeah, the apparently a picture of the, the woman staked was in a French magazine, and people thought it was real. They yeah. thought this was an actual snuff movie. Mm-hmm. Which I do know, there was stuff about some of the cast and the crew, when they first started filming, they didn't know if they were there to make a movie or there to make a snuff film. Yeah, yeah. on that on that Shutter show, York says, at one point he was thinking, are they just going to kill us? Yeah. <laughs> are we actually making a snuff movie here? Um, but again, you have this theatrics if you want it to seem real. So uh, Diodato had this idea of like, hey, we made the movie, it's coming out, go to the beach, get out of town, don't hang around, just enjoy yourselves. It'll, it'll be hype for the hype machine. Then he gets brought in. He gets arrested. He's going to go to court over this. And he suddenly he's calling them and he's like, no, yeah. come back. I need you. <laughs> I need to prove you're not dead. I need to prove you're not dead. <laughs> Which is uh, incredible. And, and York in the interview said that he was never told to, like some people say they were told that they couldn't, they had to sign a contract where they mm-hmm. couldn't be in a movie for a year. Right. And that's like the story. But York said, no, I never had to sign a contract. <laughs> Now, it wouldn't surprise me if Diodato did tell them, you know, lay low for a while. But. Yeah, that, that's the story I've always seen people say, but... Of course, back then, it was a lot harder to track people down. I mean, look at uh, Blair Witch that came out in 99. Mm-hmm. I mean, the actors were doing talk shows before the movie came out, but people still <laughs> thought they were really dead. Listen, know? I had the Blair Witch case file with all the police reports, so... <laughs> you know, what's up? What's good, Jason? <laughs> Um. Yeah, we talked about the monkey brains. <laughs> Shoot monkey brains. Oh, um, the guy who plays Miguel. Yeah. Uh, his father was murdered while they were filming. Oh, that's right. Uh, they had to delay production so he could head back for the funeral. And the scene where it's the professor, Chaco, and Miguel, and they're outside the village, and they found the bone shrine... You can see Miguel starts to cry. Oh. And that's not acting. He's crying because of his father. <laughs> Man. So among all the other real horrors that are in this film, we have the real despair of a person. So much real grief. Who and lost their family. despair and anger in this movie. It's yeah. crazy. Um, when the professor gets in the river with the ladies, uh, the native women in that scene were actually hired from a local brothel. So. <laughs> oh, well. That's an easy day for them, then. Yeah. Hop around in this little shallow pool and, and fondle this guy. <laughs> You're like, that's all I got to do? Do you know the shit I got to do on a daily basis? That's all you want? Um, <laughs> What's the catch? The screenplay has some scenes that never got into the final film. The really big one is they had a scene where they cut off the leg of a warrior and then feed him to a piranha. Yeah. Um, they had it all mapped out and ready to go. It was going to be after Monroe's team... Um, rescue does that rescue moment where they run the people off from the tree. Right. Um, they tried to film it. They had a lot of problems. The underwater camera didn't operate right. First of all, second thing was they had real piranhas, and they learned that you know what, piranhas are kind of hard to control. <laughs> a little hard to corral. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so they let it go. That was probably for the best. Um, but apparently there are still photographs of where they had it all set up. And they were about to shoot it. I think I've seen some of those. Um, yeah. I mean, it's probably good. They probably would have killed the piranhas in the process. So 
It would have just upped the animal kill count. <laughs> right, right. But, I mean, we don't know. They could have killed them afterwards anyways. Who knows? <laughs> this movie's crazy. It is indeed that. Um. Oh, I always like when I can find something where another filmmaker's talked about the movie. So I, I pulled that Lloyd Kaufman quote. Um, I've got one from Sergio Leone. He wrote a letter to Diodato about the film. Hmm. And he said, Dear Aguero, what a movie. The second part is a masterpiece of cinematographic realism. But everything seems so real that I think you will get in trouble with all the world. (laughs) Which he kind of did. He wasn't wrong. Wow. Uh, Let's see. What else? Oh, I pulled this one just because it's funny. This was the second highest grossing film in Japan in 1983. It lost only to E.T. the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> so I don't know. We always talk about weird Japanese movies. But I love the Japanese yeah. so much. They've always been gore hounds. <laughs> always. Like Hammer would put extra gore scenes in their movies just for the Japanese market. Um, God bless them. And this is my last note, and maybe this is the best spot to end. Do you have anything else to talk about this movie? No, not as no. far as like trivia and stuff. Right. Um, so here, here's where we should stop. Diodato has said now... It, later times on past the movie and more recent interviews before his death that he regrets everything he did, especially the animal deaths that really like reflecting on it. He's like, yeah, that wasn't the right call, but right. Um, he's said before that he was very stupid for including animal deaths in the film the way he did. And he's apologized and he, he does regret that decision. Yeah. Take that for so, what you will. So for all that we said earlier, there is remorse there. Now, what does that mean to you? That's something for you to decide. But yeah, too little, too late. Who knows? <laughs> <clears throat> Whatever. Um, I guess last thing, just to toss it out there, what's your favorite Diodato film? Oh man, uh, of all Diodato movies, I mean, this is probably his most important. For sure, for sure. Um, but I'm actually kind of a big fan of. I like House on the Edge of the Park. I was which, gonna bring that up. Which I, I shot love before that this, but came out after. It's also pretty extreme. It is. Yeah. Um, I mean David Hess. <laughs> God's a genius. Uh he made the Barbarians, which I know is a favorite of yours. The Barbarians is a favorite of mine. That's the that's the other one I was going to say. So the one I gotta highlight is Raiders of Atlantis from eighty three. <laughs> of course. His weird entry in sort of the post apocalyptic genre that's not quite post apocalyptic, but How could I forget? Marvelous. Totally bonkers, totally insane. I love it that there's just people who are everyday CEOs and suddenly the world's going to end. So they're like, fuck it. Putting on the leather, putting on the spikes. Let's start a road gang. It's great. Let's go to town. Um. So yeah, yeah, hell of a filmmaker. Rest in peace, dude. You made some crazy movies. Um, <laughs> you will not be forgotten. Will not be forgotten, that's for sure. For damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, all right. So heavy so, film, heavy discussion. It is. What are your thoughts on Cannibal Holocaust? All said and done, it might be the last time you watch it, at least for another decade. Yeah, if I can make it 10 more years, I'm, I might go back. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Um. Well, so it's a good film. I'll say that. It, it is a good film. It's not a great film. Mm-hmm. It's well made. The score's great. The cinematography's great. The idea of doing found footage and making this illusion that it's real, they successfully did that. Mm -hmm. 
Now, part of that, I, I agree with that quote from my, I pulled from Lloyd Kaufman that part of the reason it's so effective is because of these real animal deaths. Right. And that, like, literally fucks with your brain to see. And at that point, you're so miswired that everything else starts passing yeah. easier. Right. Um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, probably a bad thing, but it is what it is. The film exists as it is. Um, you know, there's this like whole theme in the film about like civilized versus uncivilized. Um, and I think maybe that's like the bigger core to talk about with the film is that um, it's, a, it's a lot of like holding up the mirror at modern society. And we say, you know, here's, here are these people. We say they're savage. They're uncivilized. Mm-hmm. They're, they're cannibals. How terrible, how shocking, how horrific. But when you watch the film, what you really see is that it's these civilized people that are truly monstrous, truly just straight up evil and right. terrible. Uh, get their just rewards in the end, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and had they not intervened, these people would have continued to be like, I mean, they would have had little wars amongst themselves, right. but they weren't cannibals but until they showed up. War has always been a part of right. history, so that's always going to exist. Um, every every terrible thing that happens is at their instigation. So, mm-hmm. um, heavy, profit. Heavy way to get there, but a good theme to have. Um, so I appreciate the film for that. I mean, that said, it's it's not one I enjoy watching. It's not one I seek out to watch. Um, I would be very worried about anyone who really enjoys watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's actually the whole like cannibal film subgenre. That's really just not 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 a thing for me. Like I'll, I'll watch them. I've seen most of the major ones. Yeah, like I've Fair probably Ox seen a lot and, more than I should. Um, you know, technically, I think Massacre in Dinosaur Valley, which you really dug mm-hmm. a year or two ago, uh, that's listed in there. You know, it's like a later I can see that. example. Sure. Um, so there's a few I've missed, but eh, it, it's not for me. It's not one I go around for a lot. So I will say, I guess in conclusion on this film, I think it's an important film mm-hmm. and it's one that I have a lot of respect for, but I don't particularly enjoy it. So I would sit at like a three on it. Three. Cause again, I say like for me, a two star is it had some compelling things, but you never need to go back to it. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know that I ever need to go back to cannibal Holocaust, but because I think it's, important in the massive world of filmmaking, mm-hmm. not the people who make Oscars and give those out that don't acknowledge horror, but right. in the big picture, I think it's, there's a place that where it to need to exist. I don't know if I'll say it needs to exist, but <laughs> um, its existence has a value and a point. Right. And I respect it for that. So I'm three stars. Okay. Yeah. It's really hard to separate the movie's legacy from the actual movie itself. Which I will say, like, I do believe in, like, separating the artist from the art. Right. So, in, in that respect. Right. Eh. But, of course, the animal cruelty is so intrinsic to this movie, mm-hmm. you can't really separate the two. Right. It's very hard when it's right there in your face. Yeah. And I wish they had done it without that, because it's a cheap, exploitive crutch to use. Um, but let me be devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't in there, would we still be talking about it? Well, exactly. It? That's what I was about yeah. to say, too, because that's part of its infamy. <laughs> you know, would it have stuck in the public consciousness for so long? Or would it have been Ferox? Would that have been the one? Right, because yeah. it's basically the same movie. Um, although I would say that this one's made much better. Because it did. It was pretty groundbreaking, the way mm-hmm. they, they presented the found footage and everything like that. Whew. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's a good movie at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of truly artistic, interesting things going on here. 
for sure. The way they shot it, the the music's great. Um, editing is good. Performances are passable for what it is. I mean, the actors are going through hell, and you can really tell <laughs> some of the times. Um, we've brought it up a few times because of the similarities, but Blair Witch, like I think it's that same vibe. They have a very naturalistic, mm-hmm. like they don't feel like they're actors; they feel like they're regular people. Yeah, which I think that helps the authenticity, right? Uh, it's a very problematic movie, and yeah, like, like you said, like I don't need to watch it again for a long time, if ever. But mm-hmm. I also think I've seen this more than I've seen like The Shining. Okay, I've definitely seen The Shining more. Uh, I'm so getting a little nervous So what does that here. mean, you know? Uh, this would be where I would defer to Michael, but he's not here, so... Well, I could speak for Michael that he would watch this once, if that, and never need to see it ever again. If he had still been in, this is where he would quit. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, this is one of those hardcore, you know... Yeah. Gorehound movies that if if you if you're if you love this sort of stuff, it's one of those movies you've got to see at some point. Right. Almost like a rite of passage. Yeah, it really is. Um at the end of the day, I would I almost said four stars. <laughs> what? I almost said four stars. Okay. Hey, um, you do you, man. I'm gonna take half a star away for the animal slaughter. Okay. <laughs> and I'm gonna go with three and a half. <laughs> Because it really is an effective movie. I remember the first time True. I saw it, it was it was effective, you know. It, and for a movie, even if it is dishonest and exploitive and cruel and mean, mm-hmm. it, it does make you think and it does stick with you. Very true. You know, how many movies have we seen that's in and out? That are, right. maybe they're made better, you know, but. They don't have that lingering cultural impact that this does. Very so, true. That says something about it, right? And what would, you know, grindcore bands be without this movie? <laughs> <laughs> true. True. It's uh, it's influential in many ways. All the death metal bands? Many I mean, really, areas. I don't think Cannibal Corpse would exist without this movie. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, there it is. We did it. We did Cannibal August. <laughs> if you have the tolerance... And you haven't seen this movie, I suggest checking it out. Now, there are versions that you mentioned earlier yep. without the animal cruelty. I would suggest watching that. Yeah. Because they, they really don't add anything to the movie. Yeah. They'll just disturb you. <laughs> there's no there's no important dialogue. There's right. no no plot points. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah, I mean I think this will be talked about much longer. It's gonna Last longer than something like a Serbian film. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, because it's been over forty years since this came out, and I don't think twenty years from now a lot of people are going to be talking about a Serbian film. That's my prediction. Oh, well, I guess we'll see. We'll find out in twenty years. We'll find out, or not, if we <laughs> get to the uh, heat death of the universe. Well, we are like ninety seconds to midnight right now. Apparently, <laughs> maybe we'll see, and maybe you'll be there with us. <laughs> Dear listeners. Yes. But let us know what you guys think about Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Where where are you on the animal deaths and, and that in general? Because it's not just this film. There are other films that... Well, all the Italian yeah. cannibal films, they all featured that, mm-hmm. which is horrible. Mm. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Uh... Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Tell us how disgusting we are if we're even watching it. <laughs> 
Hey, if we made it through a Serbian film without any hate mail, that's true. I, I think we're good. That's true. I think you're right. Whew. So, so that being said, we have finished this freestyle block. It's been fun to hit some extra listener episodes to get in a few films that we really wanted to cover. We love our format. It's been a weird selection. It's been a weird selection. <laughs> it's been eclectic. Um, you know, uh, Urban Groucho left us a comment that he was kind of like, oh, you know, history of the occult, ultrasound. You kind of got like a mind bender vibe going on. <laughs> Fortunately, we have broken that. Yeah. Um, maybe we should have kept that going. <laughs> but hey, it was demanded that we watch this movie. And so we have. That being said, we're going to go into another block and do three films and do, do our old thing we like to do. Yep. And it's your selection, Jason. So what have you decided? It is. Um, I have decided this is a good time to visit something we haven't really talked about much mm. on the program. And that would be fantasy films. Uh, specifically, like, medieval fantasy. Okay. Um, there's like, a Dungeons and Dragons movie coming out soon. Yeah, I, I think perhaps planned synergistically, these episodes will drop around its release. Yeah. I do believe. What about that? Yeah. Look at us trying to exploit the cultural zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah. And you know what else I hate is when people steal my unencrypted internet data. That's why I use ExpressVPN. <laughs> ExpressVPN? What's that? Oh, man. Could you imagine if we did the whole show and then fed in a sponsored ad? I would probably get paid. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's cool. Fantasy films. Yeah. I think that was like your wish list one, right? Yeah. From our end of year yeah. Thing. So cool. So something we haven't talked about and we're, we're both, we're all big it's a, fans it's a good of fantasy. Time. You know, after Cannibal Holocaust, I'm ready for some fantasy. Yeah. We, we need a pilot <laughs> cleanser after all that. Um, and so your block, you're kicking us off. Where do we start with this? Okay, I'm looking at three movies right now because I couldn't decide oh, God. which one I wanted to do. And they're all very different movies in their own way. Um, one is actually directed by Cannibal Holocaust, Ruggiero Diodato. But, <laughs> and this is almost a mainstream choice. Maybe it's a safe choice. I don't know. I think it's kind of a divisive movie. And I think if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Give it a chance. And if it's been a while since you've seen it, you should go back and watch it's it. It's been so long, I barely remember it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go with Dragon Slayer. Cool. The well, Disney classic? Question mark. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I think it's a good starting point to talk about fantasy films. Yeah, so. me too. So well, well chosen, my friend. Thank you. And I hope uh, everyone out there will check it out if they haven't seen it yet. Where can they get at it? Um, well, I mean, it's easily available in physical media. Um. Is it on Disney Plus? You know, I don't know. Let's find that out real quick. Okay. Okay, you can watch Dragon Slayer. It looks like it's not streaming anywhere for free. Yeah, apparently, can, this is not on Disney Plus. But you can rent it, right? You can rent it. Cool. Yeah, it's like four bucks on Apple or three on Amazon. It's free on Canopy. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, but it's also, you know, easily purchasable. Uh, man, it really should be on Disney Plus. I don't <laughs> understand. Mm. Interesting. Right. We'll get into that next time. Yeah, we'll talk about that next time. Maybe um, we'll bash on Disney Plus a little bit. So, hey, thanks for listening in. Thanks for sticking with us. Right in. Let us know what you've been watching. Give us those movie recommendations for films to check out. We need more. We always need more. We always want more. Just feed us. Feed us. I know there's new listeners because the numbers tell me so. So give us your movie. Yeah. We want it. Especially if you're like from a different uh, region other than the U.S. Give us something yes. from where you live. We love foreign films. Yeah, absolutely. Always looking for something new and different. 
Um, reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Send us an email at genreexposure at gmail.com. You know, we've got the actual website, genreexposure.com. That's kind of just like our central hub. Um, people probably don't go there that often because it's just easier if you're already in a platform to sure. stick on that platform. But you can leave us comments on the episodes there. I think, I think Groucho does it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever God have, I love them for it. Yes, we we love it, man. Every time I see one, I get excited. We need to get more content on there. Um, we don't have a lot of content true. on there yet. But um, yeah, if there's a specific episode and you have like a deeper thought that you can't really squeeze into a tweet or something, you can leave a comment there. We I always check it. We'll get, we'll get back to you. There you go. Yeah, nice. Um, fun. We love interacting with you. So that being said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening